Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We know Austin traffic can be a challenge. Come on, I can drive a tank through that gap. Put your foot on the gas and move it. Beat the commute with time saver traffic. Mornings and afternoons on Talk 1370. The right choice. Good afternoon. Welcome to Ask the Experts on Talk 1370. I'm Casey Johns. This is the show that helps you improve your health, your home, your life, all that and more with our rotating cast of experts. If you miss a show, you can catch up anytime at talk1370.com slash experts. We also welcome your questions. Just send us an email, asktheexperts at talk1370.com. Joining us this afternoon is Dr. Brandon Hedgecock from Sleep Better Austin. An expert on sleep apnea, Dr. Hedgecock. Thanks for stopping by. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about your practice. Sure, Casey. We have a dental sleep medicine practice, and we focus on treating patients with sleep apnea, uh, patients that snore, uh, patients primarily that cannot use their CPAP machine. What causes snoring and what can you do about it? Well, snoring is caused when patients are, or people are falling asleep at nighttime and their muscles in the back of their throat relax. Uh, as gravity takes effect, all those muscles and tissues get kind of saggy and the airway starts to collapse. And as that airway closes, um, the air travels faster through the airway, which causes a lot of vibration. That vibration primarily occurs in the back of the throat, back behind the tongue and up in the soft palate. And that vibration is what makes the noise that we hear as snoring. What are the symptoms and signs of someone who has sleep apnea? I'd say the most common signs and symptoms are uh, when patients are snoring, uh, they snore very loudly, and then they will stop breathing. And they'll have periods of time throughout the night where uh, they basically hold their breath for a few seconds. And typically, you'll see these patients start to kind of gasp or choke for air. Um, so the most common sign and symptom is is noticed by their bed partner, you know, the spouse uh, that kind of is elbowing them, telling them, you know, hey, you're not breathing, you know, wake up, that kind of stuff. How do you know if you should see a sleep specialist? Well, I'd say anybody who snores should see a, a sleep specialist. You know, they should be talking to a sleep physician. They, they need to be tested uh, because the only way we know for sure if you have sleep apnea is if you actually get tested. And, and in order to get tested, you have to wear some equipment overnight to see if you do stop breathing. Uh, some people just snore. Uh, some people snore and have sleep apnea. And so it's important to get tested, um, especially if you have daytime sleepiness, if you have any uh, medical problems like blood pressure problems, uh, diabetes, uh, if you have a history of heart attack or stroke, those are all really uh, big medical problems that have a strong correlation to sleep apnea. So if you snore and have any medical problems, you definitely should get tested. And of course, snoring leads to possible sleep deprivation. What are the side effects of someone who's having sleep deprivation? You know, sleep deprivation can happen in a lot of ways. I think America in general is a sleep-deprived nation because we're, we're all about the, you know, the phones and the iPads and the TV, and, and we're going, going, going. We're burning the candle from both ends. 
Um, and, and so we see a lot of that sleep deprivation just from those types of things. But we also see the sleep deprivation from patients who aren't getting that good quality sleep at night because they do have sleep apnea or they're snoring. Um, and so, you know, the sleep deprivation most commonly is is the patients that are tired, the people that are really sleepy during the day. They wake up in the morning and they um, they just feel like they haven't gotten a good night's rest. Uh, they maybe have morning headaches or they just they're groggy in the morning. They have a hard time no matter how many hours they sleep. They they just don't feel like they're rested. Uh, they're drinking caffeine all day long. You know, these are the patients that have, uh, you know, two, three, four cups of coffee in the morning. Then they're doing a Red Bull in the afternoon. They're dozing off at work. Um, you know, some of these people are even dozing off in, in their cars. You know, they're they're that's a big problem in America is the sleepy driving. Um, and, and so we see people that are dozing off in their cars and causing car accidents. Um, rush, all, rush hour on Mopac, right. not a good thing. Absolutely. We're talking with Dr. Brandon Hedgecock from Sleep Better Austin on the web at sleepbetteraustin.com. You can also call 512-872-4277. Talking about sleep apnea, sleep deprivation, uh, just getting good sleep altogether. And Dr. Hedgecock, is it true that insufficient sleep can contribute to some health problems such as hypertension, diabetes? Hey, see, absolutely true. Um, you know, especially with, with patients that have sleep apnea and are having drops in their oxygen saturation at nighttime, uh, you know, every time they stop breathing throughout the night, their heart is having to work harder. Uh, their brain starts to panic. The, uh, the adrenal glands uh, start to release catecholamines and hormones uh, that throw the body kind of out of whack. And it may only happen a little bit or a couple of times an hour, uh, but if it's happening night after night, month after month, year after year, the cumulative effects of that start to really throw the body into whack. And so you start to see a lot of these medical problems uh, with patients having a hard time controlling their um, their hormones, uh, diabetes, um, blood pressures, all that kind of stuff. Over time, it just all kind of, kind of piles up a little bit. Absolutely. What happens during a sleep study? So when patients go in and see a sleep physician and, and get a sleep study done, there's two different types of sleep studies. The first type of sleep study, the, the most accurate, most common uh, type of sleep study is where they will spend the night uh, in, a, in a sleep lab. And the sleep labs, uh, are, are they look almost just like a hotel room. And when they go in and spend the night there, they'll get hooked up to a whole bunch of monitors and wires. Uh, there's a technician there. All of these monitors are hooked up to a big computer. And all night long as they go to sleep, they're measuring everything about the patient. They're measuring brain activity. They're measuring heart rate. They're measuring their breathing, their movements, uh, their snoring, all of those types of things. Um, and, and then they take that data and they're able to compile it and, and see what kind of sleep disorders that you have. Um, nowadays, we're, we're getting into a lot of home studies where they have... Uh, easier to use, uh, more affordable equipment that you can do in your own bed. So a lot of sleep physicians will send patients home, and you can actually do it in your own bed wearing some of these monitors. And in theory, being a little more comfortable being there in your own environment that you're used to. Absolutely. And, and a lot of people think you might get better results when you're in your own environment because it's, it's your own bed, your own pillow, your own, you know, n nobody there watching you. I know anytime I'm in a hotel room, it always takes me a few, a little while to adjust to it. So that certainly makes sense there. What should someone who's about to undergo a sleep study, what should they do to prepare? You know, we tell patients not to do anything differently. You know, we want to treat it like your normal your normal night. So, uh, you know, you want to eat your normal dinner at the normal time, you know, drink what you normally drink, you know, take your normal medications. Um, and then it's just a matter of putting on the equipment and going to sleep. 
Um, sometimes doctors, if it's in a sleep lab and patients are anxious about it or having a hard time falling asleep or they have insomnia, uh, sometimes the, the sleep physicians will prescribe you know, a, a, a medication to help them relax, help them an anti-anxiety medication or a sleep aid uh, to help them relax and help them sleep better. Say someone through a, a sleep study is diagnosed with sleep apnea and they get a CPAP machine to help them with that. How long does it take for that machine to start working and start helping them? For, for most patients, the CPAP machine will start working right away. Um, that's the beautiful thing about CPAP, and that's the reason that that's the most common first-line treatment for sleep apnea is because as long as a patient can wear it, uh, the, the mask on the face or on the nose, um, and they get it adjusted, which will happen overnight or automatically with some of the CPAP machines and the technology we have now, uh, it works almost 100% of the time. Um, so patients oftentimes will have their first night with their CPAP and they'll wake up the next day uh, feeling better than they've felt in years. And it'll be one of the most amazing nights of sleep for them. Obviously, there have been some advances over the years. Are they still hard to get used to? Well, I think that's the main problem with CPAP is that patients just have a really hard time wearing it. You know, so when we look at research and we look at studies, uh, we see that about 50% of people after a year are no longer using their CPAP machines. And, and the reason is not because they don't sleep well with it uh, or not because it doesn't work. It's just because they're, it's not comfortable for them. Uh, the CPAP is very cumbersome. Uh, you know, even though they're smaller, they're lighter, uh, there's, there's better technology it's still very uncomfortable to have that mask on your face and to have the hoses um, kind of connected to your bedside table and uh, to not really be able to roll over freely or um, to have the air pressure that's blowing. And if the mask leaks or you move or your mouth drops open, you know, um, so there's a lot of problems that patients have with it. And so for, you know, we always tell people it's, it's a 50-50 chance. You're either going to be someone who loves it, wears it all the time, never leaves home without it. Or you're going to be someone who just hates it and you're never going to wear it. And do the CPAP machines require any periodic adjustments or uh, tweaking to stay in line with a, a patient's needs as they uh, progress? You know, typically um, the CPAP machines have a computer chip in them nowadays that will self-adjust to patients as they, as they are wearing it. Um, but patients that undergo over time, especially if they have um, changes in their medical history, maybe they have some weight gain or maybe they lose a bunch of weight, um, they may not need the same amount of pressure. They may not need as much pressure um, or they may need more pressure, uh, air pressure. Mm -hmm. And so for those patients, they'll go back in periodically every, um, every three to five years typically and they'll have another study done with their CPAP to make sure it's working for them. We're visiting with Dr. Brandon Hedgecock from Sleep Better Austin, 512-872-4277. If you've got uh, sleep problems and uh, want to have someone take a look at it, you can also visit sleepbetteraustin.com. You're listening to Ask the Experts on Talk 1370. We'll step aside for a couple of minutes and be right back. Check in and stay up to date all day long. In the car, on my way to work, heading home. Listening online keeps you in touch while you work at Talk1370.com. Get it right now. Talk 1370. Anywhere I need. The right choice. Catch up on the latest headlines anytime at Talk1370.com. Talk1370.com. 
And welcome back. You're listening to Ask the Experts on Talk 1370. I'm Casey Johns, your host. We're here in the studio right now with Dr. Brandon Hedgecock from Sleep Better Austin, online at sleepbetteraustin.com. You can also call 512-872-4277. And Dr. Hedgecock, we spent a lot of the last segment talking about sleep apnea. How beneficial is weight loss for overweight people suffering from obstructive sleep apnea? Weight, weight loss is a huge component for you know nearly every medical condition out there. And so uh, for sure, we know that as you gain weight and as you become heavier, there's more gravity uh, and more weight, especially in the neck uh, area. And so when you lose weight, you lose it everywhere. You can lose weight, you know, you gain weight in the tongue, in the throat, in the neck. And so when you lose weight, you're less likely to have those obstructions and those obstructive events, which is blocking the back of the throat. Uh, so I'd say weight loss is hugely beneficial, uh, but it's not going to eliminate it for, for everybody. You know, if you're, if you're a mild patient, you might lose a bunch of weight and your sleep apnea might go away. But if you're one of these patients who just naturally has a small airway and you're a severe patient, you might lose 100 pounds, but you're still probably going to have some residual sleep apnea. If someone suffers from migraines, can uh, suffering from sleep apnea, can that make the migraines worse? Yeah, I think we have a lot of patients who, you know, they're not getting enough sleep. They're not getting enough uh, deep sleep, not enough REM sleep. Um, and, and those are the patients that typically have a lot of headaches. They're waking up with a lot of headaches. They get a lot of migraines. Uh, there's a lot of studies going on in, in the field of, of headaches and migraines now that show uh, this correlation. And when patients start sleeping better, getting more sleep, more restful sleep, more REM sleep especially, um, we see those migraines improve drastically. You mentioned REM sleep there. I've heard that before. What is it and how's that helpful to the body? REM sleep is the rapid eye movement sleep. It's when the brain is active. It's the point of time when you're sleeping and you're dreaming. So all of our dreams take place during REM sleep and our body is paralyzed during REM sleep. Uh, and it's basically when our, our brain is reordering everything. So it has a huge effect on memory uh, taking what you learn during the day and compartmentalizing it into the different sections of your brain where uh, your brain needs to recall that information. So it's got a huge impact on memory. We see that people that don't get enough REM sleep are more likely to develop things like Alzheimer's, uh, more likely to develop dementia, Parkinson's, a lot of these neurologic uh, diseases that over, over time. And, and we should be getting about 20 to 25% of our sleep should be REM sleep. The other 20 to 25% should be a deep sleep, which is where your body is resting and restoring itself. That's where your body is healing itself. So, you know, you're, you're working out, you're tired, and you're, you've got sore legs, and, and your body needs to restore. Um, and then the rest of the night, the other 50% is kind of that light sleep. What happens when a child or a teen doesn't get enough sleep? Can children suffer from sleep apnea? Uh, children absolutely suffer from sleep apnea, and especially any child that snores should should go get tested, should see a, see a physician, see a sleep physician, see an ENT doctor. Most commonly with children, it's because they have really large tonsils. So one of the first things they look at for kids that snore is to take out their tonsils. And we saw this in my own son who was snoring and making a lot of noise. And the interesting thing with kids is adults get tired. When, when adults have sleep apnea, they spend the whole day being groggy and tired and, and pumping the caffeine uh, kids kind of have the opposite effect and these are the kids that tend to have behavior disorders adhd they tend to kind of be really rambunctious and they they can't control themselves and they have a lot of extra energy uh, they also tend to uh, be more likely to 
suck their thumb. Uh, they'd be more likely to wet the bed even, you know, as they get older, um, past bedwetting age. And we see child after child after child that will go and will have the tonsils out, the adenoids out, and a lot of these things will resolve. We'll see the behavior get better. Uh, we'll see the the grades get better at school. We'll see the thumb sucking stop, the teeth grinding stop. We'll see um, the bedwetting stop, you know, all these things. So it's a, it's definitely really important in kids to get that airway evaluated if they if you have any suspicion at all that they snore uh, or may be having sleep issues. How many hours should the average child be sleeping per night? Every age group requires a different amount of sleep. And we know that, you know, young children, infants, babies, um, you know, they're going to sleep for 18 hours a day. Um, you start getting into the younger uh, elementary school years, and those kids really need uh, somewhere around 10 to 12 hours uh, of sleep per night. Uh, we get into the high school years, and teenagers, they need still quite a bit of sleep too, and, and they, they need kind of the 8 to 10 range hours of sleep a night. Nine is a good number for most teenagers. Uh, the problem is, is teenagers are so active uh, with school and sports and, um, you know, their social lives and homework and everything else that most teenagers aren't getting enough sleep and, and the circadian rhythm for children. So, I'm, you know, I'm really glad that in Austin they've gotten the high schools to where they're starting later in the day now uh, because there's a lot of places around the country that still are starting high school too early and those uh, teenagers are just not getting enough rest. Um, but for adults, the magic number is seven and a half. But that's good seven and a half hours of sleep. That doesn't mean you're in bed for seven and a half hours because we don't sleep 100% of the time that we're in bed. So you probably got to be in bed somewhere around eight hours a night to get that good seven and a half hours. Is it bad to eat just before bed? I mean, it depends on how hungry you are. <laughs> I, I don't advocate having a big, heavy meal before bed. I think, you, you know, as you start to get, your body's trying to digest and everything. So I think most people will tell you not to eat a big meal right before bed. And, and typically about two hours before bed should be your last meal. Give the body enough time to digest and work it through before, before going to bed there. Another topic that comes up often, what is shift work sleep disorder and what are the symptoms of it? You know, this is something, again, we were talking about America and just how how crazy we are and how sleep deprived we are. And, and part of that's just because of a lot of the, um, a lot of the jobs that we have, they require people to work overnight, you know? So we see people in hospitals, uh, people at gas stations, hotels, uh, nurses, um, doctors that are working, uh, 12 hour shifts. They're working overnight. They're, um, trying to sleep during the day, uh, while they're working at night. Uh, but that's not how our body was designed. That's not how, you know, as, as our bodies were designed to work with nature, uh, the sun goes down, uh, the melatonin is secreted, you know, we sleep during the night. And so these people that are working through the night typically aren't getting enough rest during the day. They're not getting the full eight hours or seven and a half hours during the day uh, because it's almost impossible to. It's just too much light outside. They've got other things going on. They've got family things going on. Um, and so we see a lot of these people that are um, doing the shift work over time will become very sleep deprived. Uh, they'll be very tired. They're at much higher risk for accidents. Um, we just had a nurse I just saw two weeks ago on, on Highway 71 over here, um, you know, in an accident, 8 o'clock in the morning on her way home from work. She died, um, bad injuries to the other car. Um, and, and it was, you know, just a, a young person headed home. She was a nurse, headed home from her 12-hour shift, you know, at, at 8 o'clock in the morning. 
um, and fell asleep behind the wheel. Mm. And so that's, I think that's what we see with a lot of these shift workers is just an increased risk for those types of accidents. And, and with shift workers, you know, like you say, working these odd hours and putting their body through this strain that it's not really meant to, not really designed to be, are they at an increased risk for some other health issues? Well, I think the more sleep deprived they are, the more at risk they are for, for some of those other other things as well. But they're not necessarily at more risk for sleep apnea. Uh, they're not necessarily at risk for more snoring. They're just uh, mainly at, at risk for, for some of those other medical things. And, and the, the sleep deprivation is the, probably the biggest thing for those shift work disorders. So, they, you know, they really need to try to develop a system to get the sleep that they need. They need really good blackout shades in their bedrooms. Uh, they need to have a really good um, schedule uh, that allows them to sleep the hours that they need, uh, which, again, that's that's the hard part because most people have, you know, spouses, family, kids, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and they, they might be working a late shift. The rest of the family is working normal exactly. sleeping sunset to sunrise. Exactly. We're visiting with Dr. Brandon Hedgecock, Sleep Better Austin. You can find them on the web at sleepbetteraustin.com. You can also call 512 872 Four two seven seven and Dr. Hedgecock, we've been talking a lot about sleep apnea. One thing that your uh, practice specializes in is oral appliance therapy. How does that help people with sleep apnea? Well, the biggest thing about oral appliance therapy is for the patients that have been diagnosed and they have given up on their CPAP machine or they cannot wear their CPAP machine. This is an alternative to them, um, and it's it's a more convenient in many cases alternative. It's a more comfortable alternative. Uh, that doesn't require the mask, the hose, the air pressure, um, all of those kinds of things. And in, instead of having all of that equipment, it's a small uh, mouthpiece that goes in the mouth and it holds the jaw forward and it basically just holds the airway open for them. Um, so we use kind of uh, physics and mechanics as opposed to the air pressure uh, to help them continue to get the air that they need through the night to help with their snoring. Um, and to help with their oxygen levels throughout the night and help them get better better sleep and more deep sleep. How long does a treatment with an oral appliance uh, take? Well, that's the probably the downside to oral appliance therapy is it takes a little bit longer to make the appliance. It's a custom-made device. Um, CPAPs come off the shelf, and you can go buy one today and wear it tonight. Uh, but with our oral appliances, we have to take molds of your teeth. We have to send it off to a, a lab and have this device custom made for you. Um, and that can typically take two to three weeks. Um, so from the time you come in and get the impressions, typically within about a month, you'll have your appliance. Um, and then once you have your appliance, we go through a series of adjustments. Uh, so for some patients, it might work right away. But for some patients, they may, may need more protrusion. Um, and so it may take um, a month or so to adjust the device to get it to where uh, you're not snoring anymore and you're getting that better sleep. Is it something that over the course of the therapy takes some constant adjustment or? Typically, we have most patients adjusted to where they need to be within the first um, six weeks, sometimes for the more complicated cases, maybe two to three months. Once you're adjusted, uh, you pretty much leave it alone. It's just a matter of wearing it every night. Again, just like with CPAP, if you gain a lot of weight, if you lose a lot of weight, if you get older, you know, all those things will, will affect it. So, again, it's important every three to five years to have another follow-up test uh, with your therapy in place to make sure that it's still working for you. Does medical insurance cover oral appliance therapy? Most medical insurances cover oral appliance therapy. 
It, it depends on, on the plan. Uh, every plan is a little bit different. And that's one thing our, our practice kind of specializes in is we've got the knowledge and the ability and the team to do medical billing. You'll find a lot of dental practices that can make oral appliances, but they can't get that coverage because they don't have the team or the systems in place to get the medical coverage. So we are a, a Medicare provider. Uh, we're a TRICARE provider. We work with all major PPO insurances. And uh, for most patients, as long as it's within their plan and they've met their deductible, then there's really good coverage for it. So it kind of just depends on what their deductibles and their co-pays are and all that kind of stuff. Some patients will literally pay nothing and their insurance will cover the entire appliance. Other patients may have higher deductibles and, and then we have to kind of work with that. What should patients expect from Sleep Better Austin when they walk in the door for an appointment? You know, they're going to get a very thorough exam. Um, they're going to get a lot of education. When you come in for that first appointment, uh, we spend a lot of time reviewing your history, your sleep patterns, your snoring. We spend a lot of time going over your medical history and your sleep study if you've already had a sleep study. Um, if you haven't had a sleep study, then we'll go over how to get a sleep study, what doctor we're going to send you to to get that sleep study done so that we can have a diagnosis. If you've been diagnosed and you've already given up on your CPAP machine, we're going to go over, you know, how long did you try your CPAP? Why didn't you like it? Why didn't it work for you? Uh, we're going to look at your teeth. Uh, we're going to do a, a very good airway exam and a TMJ exam and basically figure out if you're a good candidate for oral appliance therapy. Um, if we determine you're a good candidate for oral appliance therapy, then we'll go over the different types of oral appliances that might work for you and um, how your particular insurance will work for you. Um, and then if you're ready, we'll take impressions of your mouth, impressions of your teeth. We'll take some measurements um, and we basically get ready to make that appliance for you. So if you're having any problems getting a restful night's sleep or think that you might be suffering from sleep apnea, call Sleep Better Austin, Dr. Brandon Hedgecock, 512-872-4277. They're also on the web at sleepbetteraustin.com. Dr. Hedgecock, thanks so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. Casey, thanks for having me. You're listening to Ask the Experts on Talk 1370. We'll be back after these messages. Keep up with the latest headlines from Austin and beyond on the all-new Talk1370.com. Stay informed with the latest news, weather, contests, and more. It's all just a click away at Talk1370.com. Just one more way to stay connected with Talk 1370. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. 